Hey there, literary fans, and welcome to Jeff Reads His Book. I am your host, Jeff, and today we're going to be reading Chapter 7 of Bringing Balance, a book I wrote in a month. This is actually my second attempt at an intro. Uh, Let me go back and see. What I was trying to do was I thought maybe I should give a recap of the story so far at the beginning of each episode. It seems like maybe it would be a sensible thing to do, because probably if someone new came to listen to the podcast, wouldn't they listen to the most recent episode? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's very serialized. So I actually went ahead and made an intro with a recap, and it was unlistenable, and it was full of mistakes, and so that intro was deleted, and here we are today. And I've since decided I'm not going to do a recap, because that is not any fun at all. So, if you want to catch up on the story, we have a few earlier episodes you can look at, or you can always buy Bringing Balance uh, if you go to our website at jeffreadshisbook.com. I keep saying our website. If you go to my website at jeffreadshisbook.com, there is a link where you can buy the book, and you can read those first six chapters and not have to listen to me struggle through them with... Probably terrible audio quality. Not that this is much better. I hope you guys don't hear the clothes dryer running in the background, or... uh, I think that's the only thing making noise right now. Eh, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So yeah, no recaps. I'm not going to do that. But if you do want to contact the show to tell me that I'm an idiot for not doing a recap, you can reach me on Twitter at FortranJeff. Or you can reach me by email at jba at sdf.org. Or if you're a big dork, you can reach me on the Fediverse at jba at mastodon.sdf.org. So sometimes I give stats or who's listening to this podcast at the beginning of the uh, show. I think last week I did point out there's two confirmed subscribers, me and my wife. Although I'm the only one who's listened to an episode, so maybe she should get on that, right? Um, but I didn't look up any download stats this week. You know what? It's kind of disappointing and depressing to look. I'm not sure anybody listens to this, but if they do, that's pretty awesome. I, it, I can see why you wouldn't, though. It kind of makes sense. Right, So I don't have any statistics for downloads, so I think we should start diving into what we're going to be talking about today. So like I said, Episode 7, we're going to be reading Chapter 7 of Bring Balance. Now this is the longest chapter we've encountered yet. It comes in at, well, it spills onto a tenth page. So it's nine full pages and then a little bit on the tenth. So this is going to take freaking forever to read, and I'm going to get tired of it. I'm going to need a second beer. Uh, In the previous intro, I explained that this podcast episode is going to be a little different because instead of hard liquor today, I am actually drinking a beer. I have a Genesee Cream Ale, one of the finest beverages ever to come out of Rochester, New York, and it is delicious. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. I'm probably going to need a second for a 10-page chapter, because this is going to go on for freaking ever. But anyway, chapter 7, 
I did glance through it, and I was surprised by what this chapter was about. I thought after chapter 6 there, which was pretty exciting, I thought, maybe this is going to be some dead time coming up. Like, I think there's chapters where they just walk, but maybe I'm misremembering, because I wrote this in a month, and I wasn't thinking straight. You don't usually think straight when you're writing a book at, what, midnight on a Thursday and have to go to work the next day? Oof. So anyway, this is the longest chapter yet. It's an exciting chapter. I really honestly didn't know this chapter was coming. And guess what? We have another main character is going to show up in this uh, chapter. Very exciting. I actually probably let in let you in on a spoiler by saying it's a main character. But we'll see. We'll see. I think we'll be fine. Um, I thought, though, it would be much further into the book where this person was actually introduced. But I guess not. I don't really, like I've said before, I do not remember what any of these chapters are about. It's been a long, long time since I wrote this, so. Why do you say we just dive in and all get disappointed together, okay? Okay, so here we are at chapter 7. Um, you guys going to have to excuse me if I stumble through this. My throat's a little itchy, too. I don't know why that is, but... You know what cures that? Beer. Oh, that's too easy to drink. That's not good. All right, let's get started. Here we go. The next morning, the three left their campground for an extended hike. There seems to be a lot of walking in this book. All right. The beginnings of their walk took the group back through the pine forest, which remained warm despite the approach of autumn. Margot led the way this time, and the three emerged from the western edge of the forest into the surrounding grasslands. Aaron's legs felt sore that morning, not only from the frantic horseback ride, but also from the extended walks she and Henry had taken first to town and later to the ruins of the temple town. Margot had assured her that the could make it. <laughs> all right, all right, first typo. Margot had assured her that the could make it to a small village before nightfall, where the three... Okay, that's actually correct, the second one. I gotta reread this sentence. This is killing me. Here we go. Ready? Margot had assured her that the could make it to a small village before nightfall, where the three might enjoy actual beds for the evening. About an hour after passing from the forest... The three stopped along what some might loosely refer to as a path to eat a quick breakfast. Aaron, Aaron, relieved, plopped down onto a stone outcropping. What would anyone like to eat? Margot asked her companions. Both simply shrugged. I think I have some pears and maybe some cheese. With that statement, Margot reached her left hand into the air beside her while her tongue stuck slightly out of her mouth and her eyes looked up as if she were reaching for something to her left of her, to the left of her. Erin was shocked when she realized that Margot was indeed reaching for something, for her left arm had disappeared up to her shoulder. The whole sight gave the impression that Margot was reaching into an invisible cabinet. Henry laughed at Erin's surprise. Aha, yes, I bet you've been wondering where Margot keeps everything. Margot's left hand reappeared with a wedge of cheese. 
she has some sort of storage space or something that she that seems to exist in another world. I don't really understand it. I don't think Margot understands it. Margot scowled at him while she reached back into the invisible cabinet, and Henry responded by rolling his eyes. As they sat and ate, Aaron tried to learn more about Margot's secret room. How much can you fit inside? she asked. I don't know. I don't think it can fill fill up at all, she explained. Can other people access it? No, or at least I've never met anyone who could, Margot responded. Aaron was fascinated by this power that Margot seemed to take for granted. Can other people do the same thing? Henry said, Margot's the only one I've ever seen that had that power. What do you keep in there? Aaron asked, turning back to Margot. Everything I have, basically. All my clothes, food, shoes, plenty of shoes. That's the greatest thing ever, Aaron exclaimed. It's nice, Margot agreed calmly. I'm getting ahead of myself while I read. Sorry, guys. The three started off again shortly after the conversation. Erin found herself somewhat in awe of Margot, but also confused by the woman's nonchalant attitude towards the, quote, hidden closet. The female mage was proving to be somewhat of an enigma. The only obvious trait was her occasional outward hostility towards Henry, which Erin could understand. Drinking break! I feel like I was really stumbling through that first section of this chapter. So, let me see if I can clean up my act here for the, what, remaining eight pages? Oh my god, alright. Hey, no formatting errors so far. That's exciting. Henry was not pleased with the plan the three had agreed upon. He had little love for Roland, a senior mage who had rarely approved of Henry's work. He knew, though, that Margot had the utmost respect for their elder. When they had all worked together at the temple, Henry had been considered somewhat flippant with his work, although many of his peers, including Margot, understood that it was just part of his personality. He was also regularly... He was also regularly scolded for failing to collect sufficient payment. In Henry's view, he would mostly ask only for a minimum amount of money, if any. His view had always been that his work was too amusing and exciting to ask for payment for services rendered. There was also the time when Henry had been conveniently out of town when the magistrates had come recruiting. He had originally thought that working for the magistrates would be a great career move. However, Margot, who who was just an acquaintance at the time, begged him to make himself scarce. He had obliged, of course, because he had been in love with the black-haired mage. That's some, uh, you know, I wrote a prequel to this two years, three years after this book, and that really focused on basically what I'm reading right now, that last paragraph. So, all right, let's continue here. Henry foresaw some tension when they eventually met the elder mage. He knew Roland and Margot would get along fine, and they'd create a voting block against himself if any decisions needed to be made. He didn't look forward to the, to the meeting. 
The path the three walked along. Ugh, that was a long dead air period there. That wasn't a drinking break. You know what, though? Let's just take care of that right now. Mm. All right. The path the three walked along was not well maintained. The grass around them often reached above their heads. Woo! And often they were forced to walk single file. Margot assured the other two that the path would eventually open onto a road that would lead them to a village for a restful evening. Henry assumed she knew the right path. The three eventually paused for a quick lunch when they came across a convenient clearing. What the hell? Didn't they just eat? Or was that a snack? Uh, let's see here. Oh, that was breakfast. All right, all right. So we've been walking for a few hours, huh? Okay, when they came across a convenient clearing, Margot once again produced a delicious meal from nowhere, providing some salted meats and bread for sandwiches. See, this time they had to make the sandwiches. Big difference, right? That confirms my theory that before she came to their rescue, she made sandwiches. I think that that's proof, right? Because this time she doesn't have any sandwiches. They already ate them. All right. Does it, if you haven't listened to last episode, magic sandwiches were there. So, All right. Their walk after lunch was marked by slowly clouding skies so that as the three tri- tired travelers approached the road, the sun had disappeared behind overcast gray skies. That's nice setting, isn't it? The road made Henry considerably more anxious, for there were a number of travelers who mostly passed them heading towards the same village that Margot had chosen for an evening rest. Many simply passed by in a rush to return home or complete their final delivery, but some eyed the three walking strangers suspiciously. He was not sure if the two women he traveled with noticed. Aaron was too busy taking in the unfamiliar world, and Margot seemed oblivious to the others. The grasslands gave way to farmlands and pastures as they approached their destination. Henry was surprised at how out of shape he was. In a past life, he had walked everywhere in this world, but his year away proved to be a detriment. When he first saw the buildings rise from the fields, he cheered inside his head that the long day's walk was finally ending. Aaron also muttered, thank God, mirroring his own sentiment. Margot, on the other hand, seemed capable of walking for another straight day. I think he would say another day straight, but we won't say it's a typo. We've only had one typo so far. That's pretty exciting. The village they had come upon was one that Henry had a vague recollection of. In contrast to Sandhill, the building's here were mostly constructed of wood, and many were painted bright red, blue, and green. The road along which the three walked served as the town's main thoroughfare, which was well lighted as the sun began to set. Henry was pleased to see that an inn stood close to the village outskirts. I think we'll just stay here for the night, Margot told them as they arrived on the porch of the inn. The interior was sparsely populated, but the general atmosphere was pleasant enough. Sounds good to me, Aaron said in an exhausted voice. Sounds good to me, Aaron said in an exhausted voice. 
The two women entered first, but Henry remained on the wooden deck to survey the small town. It mostly appeared as other villages in this world, with small shops up and down the street. One shop, however, caught Henry's attention. Eight or so doors down on the opposite side of the street, a red sign was decorated with a large letter M with a small crow painted above it. Henry's spirits fell upon the realization that the magistrates had a presence in the town. Ooh, scary. Let's see here. That was a weird paragraph, because it started with Aaron talking, and then we go right into Henry looking on the porch. That was all one paragraph. Very odd. All right. Upon entering the inn's bar and dining area, Henry found the two women seated at a table together. Two large mugs already sat in front of them, and a third awaited him at one of the seats. He sat down next to Aaron, facing Margot. Quietly, he explained what he had seen outside. Aaron watched, confused, and Margot's face turned cold. Turned cold? Was it cold to the touch? Was she just scowling? I, ugh. We'll be fine tonight, Margot said. I'll set up some tricks to hide us nicely in our rooms, but I doubt anyone took notice of us. Are you serious? Didn't you notice all the people on the road eyeing us? Henry asked emphatically. Hey, we're just looking at our off-worlder, she said, waving at him. She tun-read to Aaron and explained, Off-worlders are quite rare these days. Yeah, tun-read. So that's two typos, huh? We'll... How did the spell checker not catch tun-read? Damn it. We'll need to sneak out of here tomorrow, Henry said. You're being paranoid, Margot said without looking at him. No, we need to keep a low pri profile. We're sneaking out, Henry demanded. Fine, Margot conceded. That was a pointless fight. Ugh. All right, drinking break. Uh-oh. All right, this next section, I'm not sure I approve how this starts. That evening, the three retired to a single room featuring two beds. Two adults and a teenager. Not sure I like this. All right. Henry insisted that Aaron take one bed, while Margot insisted that Henry slept on the sleep on the floor. A single lighted orb by the door was left on, creating a dim light by which Aaron could survey the room. The lodgings were relatively spacious, and the extensive woodwork had given Aaron the feeling that she was staying in some sort of Swiss chalet. Not the... Uh, Canadian chain of rotisserie chicken restaurants, but like a building. So, The two mages had seemed to fall asleep instantly. Aaron decided to step outside the room to see if any patrons remained near the bar. Climbing out of bed, she tiptoed around Henry, who lay atop blankets she and Margot had donated to his less-than-ideal sleeping arrangement. The door opened with a distinct creaking, but neither of her supposed protectors budged. She found this inn particularly adorable because, a few doors down from theirs, a hallway opened into a balcony that overlooked the bar and dining area. Aaron walked over to see a handful of patrons still sitting at the bar, laughing and chatting with the bartender. The tables were empty at this time of evening, the dinner hour long since having passed. She leaned against the wooden banister to watch the scene out of boredom. 
Oh, okay, I messed up. Let's start again. As, as she leaned against the wooden banister to watch the scene out of boredom, a door that presumably led into the kitchen or some other, quote, employees-only area opened, and a tall young man entered, walking behind the bar. Erin took particular note, for he was quite handsome in her eyes. I'm using for as a preposition, like... Preposition? Wait. What's the uh, part of speech that you form compound sentences with? You know, and, but, you know, for, so. I'm not sure. That's not a preposition. Prepositions are like of, yeah. Hmm. With. I don't know. I'm not sure. Damn it. But anyway, I'm using for a lot to, like, make compound sentences. And that always sounds kind of pompous, but... All right. Well, I don't know. I think I write like that a lot. So I apologize to all the readers or anybody listening to this podcast, which I hope is just nobody, because, oh, my God. All right. He walked up to the bartender, and the two spoke momentarily, before the older man presented the younger with a one-armed hug around his shoulders. There was some laughter and some handshaking with patrons before the young man disappeared back through the door from which he came. Erin yawned and decided she might as well try to fall asleep. She knew her legs were in favor of this plan. She turned back towards her room when the young man she had just seen appeared at the top of the stairs at the end of the hallway. To Erin, he seemed surprised to find anyone in the hallway. "'Oh, excuse me, miss,' he said. Erin felt herself blush. He turned out to be more attractive than she originally thought. He was nearly a head taller than herself, with broad shoulders, close-cut brown hair, and a kind smile. He appeared to be only a few years older than herself at most. It's no problem, she finally said. Is there anything I can help you with, he offered. Oh no, I was just having some trouble falling asleep. I thought I'd see what was going on downstairs. A bit of recognition appeared on the man's face. Oh, are you an off-worlder, he asked. Aaron laughed lightly. How could you tell? Well, the clothes, for one thing. I know, I was just joking, she said. The young man leaned the broom he carried against the wall and offered his hand. I don't think we mentioned this broom before. I'm Stephen. I'm Aaron, she said while shaking his hand. Are you staying here long, he asked. She hesitated, but decided it was harmless. No, just for the night. My companions and I need to leave early tomorrow. That's a shame, he said. Perhaps you'll pass through here again? Aaron considered the idea for a moment. Definitely. I'll recommend it to my friends. Should really get to bed, but it was nice to meet you, she said. It was all my pleasure, Aaron, he responded. Aaron walked back to the room, and the two exchanged looks once more as she opened the door. Oh, I think they like each other. Drinking break. Woo! Oh, my gosh. We've got to be getting close to the end of this chapter, right? This beer. Yeah. I had a lot of alcohol last night, so it's probably best that I'm only drinking beer right now. 
Especially a nice watery one. Oh, so good. All right. Okay, okay, that was a drink break. All right, let's go. Oh, my phone is going bonkers. All right, here we go. Margot was the first to awaken the next morning. When she stirred from sleep, she first saw Aaron sleeping soundly on the bed beside hers. After sitting up, she found Henry sprawled on the floor, somehow lying on bare wood, rather than the makeshift bed he had constructed. At first, Margot was concerned that he was injured, but she recognized the slow rise and fall of his chest as a sign of sleeping. As she pulled a brush out of hiding, as she liked to refer to her personal, quote, magic storage, a lot of as's in this, as she pulled a brush out of hiding, as she liked to refer to her personal store, magic storage, Margot heard a light tapping at the door. Immediately she tensed, concerned for all their safety. The tapping continued, so Margot slowly rose from the bed and tiptoed across the floor planks. Floor planks. Standing at the door, she could hear a voice outside whispering, Aaron, are you there? Margot tiptoed next to Henry and shook the mage by his shoulder. He awoke with a start, saying, What? What is it? Margot sighed in frustration and raised her finger to her lips to indicate quiet. Henry stared at her baffled, so she pointed at the door. They both stared at it for a moment before the tapping started again, this time louder. Henry jumped up and looked around, apparently deciding what to do. Margot watched in surprise as he marched towards the door and opened it. The handsome man outside seemed a bit surprised at first to see Henry, but he quickly collected himself and pushed his way inside, carefully closing the door behind him. Margot was on edge and began preparing a defensive spell. Henry, on the other hand, simply said, What the hell? The exclamation finally woke Aaron from her sleep, who sat up slowly. Margot noticed the handsome stranger was looking at the just-awoken girl as if he knew her. After rubbing her eyes and smiling at the people in the room, the realization of the situation appeared to hit her. Realization of the situation. I like that. Stephen, she asked. Her face revealed her confusion. Aaron, you need to leave now, he whispered. The magistrate's men are here for you. Here, H-E-A-R. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I think we're up to three typos. Maybe more now. I'm losing track quick. Margot was immediately alarmed and quickly grabbed her cloak. Looking at Henry, expecting the other mage to prepare to leave, she found him scratching his head and glancing at Aaron and the stranger. You two know each other, he asked. Well, sort of. We met yesterday, Aaron exclaimed. Explained. When, Henry asked again. Margot walked over and grabbed Henry's shoulder, turning him towards her. Doesn't matter. We need to get out of here. Excuse me for questioning how Aaron and... He looked at the stranger, waving his hand encouragingly. I just waved my hand encouragingly. Stephen, the young man said. How Aaron and Stephen happen to know each other, he concluded. It's not important. We have to leave now, she said as she thrust... She said as he thrust his cloak into his chest. That's a typo. I think she thrust his cloak into his chest. 
Henry's lack of concern during crises had always frustrated her. All right, he said, mirroring her frustration. Turning back to Stephen, he asked, Where are they? The bar? Yeah, they're talking to the owner. There seems to be a mage and maybe four soldiers there. What about outside? Henry asked while he put on his cloak and grabbed his bag and handed it to Margot. Jesus Christ, it's a run on. Normally, she would have been irritated by this assumption that she could take it, but she realized they were in a rush and disappeared it. Eight armed men, probably a few less at the rear of the building, Stephen replied. Henry eyed the newcomer suspiciously. Why are you helping us, he inquired. The young man shrugged. You seem like good people. Pause for a moment, wondering if he should continue. I'm not a particular fan of the magistrate. How do we get out, Erin asked while putting on her shoes. Stephen opened the door to the room and motioned for them to follow. We can climb out onto a roof through a different bed, different room, he whispered. The four crept down the hallway towards the balcony. Stephen peered around the wall and turned back to the other three, whispering, The owner is arguing with him. I think they want to search the whole inn. Margot crept forward and closed her eyes momentarily, calling up some simple magic. She felt the illusion take effect, then stood, opening her eyes. She said to Stephen quietly, Okay, let's move so I can remove the smell before he notices, referring to the mage at the bar. Stephen led them three more doors down and opened a door to a smaller room. After everyone had entered, Margot closed the door until only her hand could fit through the opening. She waved her hand rapidly outside the door and then gently closed it. She hoped that everything had happened quick enough that nobody had noticed the weak magic she had employed. I think she was getting rid of her illusion spell so they couldn't see her. That's That makes sense. All right, all right. Uh, this is a long explanation, isn't it? I need to drink again. All right. Mm. Okay. Exciting, though. Who's excited? I know I am. All right. Let's see. Okay. Um, she hoped that everything had happened quick enough, that nobody had noticed the weak magic she had employed. When she turned around in the room, Stephen had already opened the window and was urging Henry and Aaron outside onto the low roof. Margot followed behind the first two, and Stephen clambered out last. The four were squatting on a low roof in an alleyway that was apparently covering some sort of storage area below. The roof did dip low enough that all four could safely jump to the ground. However, Margot was sure that the soldiers would notice them exiting the alley. As Stephen began making his way towards the lower edge of the roof, Margot grabbed his shoulder to stop him. Awkwardly walking in a squat, she moved to the edge of the roof. Looking down revealed that it was probably too high to simply leap, so she rolled onto her stomach and slowly lowered herself down until just her arms remained on the roof. Jumping the last few feet proved a little higher than she expected once again, but she dusted off her now sore and scratched breasts and stomach and set her mind to the task at hand. I see. She was trying to, like, 
lower herself down like on her stomach and just kind of edge over the edge of the roof. So I could see that that would hurt, I, I would assume, you know, for girls. Also, um, we have a formatting error in that sentence. Yes, the word scratched, in, as in scratched breasts, <laughs> is sticking out over the edge of the uh, page. It's great. It's great. First, she closed her eyes and called up a strong illusion at the far end of the alley towards the rear of the building. The illusion would last for a long period after they had left. With this trickery, the soldiers sure to be at the rear entrance of the inn would not see anything down the alleyway. Next, she crept along the side of the building and peered into the street. About ten soldiers stood waiting in the street casually, examining the front porch of the building. She signaled for everyone to come down off the roof. As each lowered themselves to the ground, Henry falling over and Aaron graciously helped by the handsome stranger, she closed her eyes and began concocting a far more elaborate display for the main street. Opening her eyes, she found Henry and the others close by. Henry remained familiar with her skills, she thought to herself. When he nodded to her... Sorry, I didn't understand why I had that in a sentence. It's a semicolon. Okay. Opening her eyes, she found Henry and the others close by. Semicolon. Henry remained familiar with her skills, she thought to herself. I, I, okay. <laughs> when he nodded to her, she turned towards the street and threw her arms into the air, letting them gracefully fall to her side. All four could hear the commotion begin on the street. Shouts of, Get them! and They're getting away! were repeated by the frantic soldiers. Margot stepped around the corner to watch as the armed man ran away from the inn, chasing mere mirages of the three traveling companions, who were depicted as running full speed away from the inn in the opposite direction of the real Margot. All right, let's get out of here, she said quietly. Turning to Stephen, she exclaimed, explained, We need to head in a southwest direction out of town. Follow me, he offered, and the four began a slow jog with no pursuers behind them. Woo! That ends chapter freaking seven. Oh my god, that was long. Got about five typos, I'd say, and a formatting error. Stunning. Oh, I hope you guys like Chapter 7, because that was a doozy. Very exciting. My heart is pounding. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that chapter. Um, You know what? I don't think that I called out a formatting error that was located in this chapter. That's right. On page 44 of the print book, it looks like the word makeshift, almost all the way down the page, is sticking way out into that right margin. So that's not to be, uh, that's no, no surprise. I think there's like 10 or 12 of them in this book, but I don't think I mentioned that while I was reading it. I think I trucked right through it. Um, if you couldn't tell, today is a new day. I actually didn't get time to finish this on Sunday. So right now it's Tuesday in the afternoon, and I'm trying to throw together this outro so I can get this episode up for all my many, many, many listeners, which is you know, numbering in maybe the single digits, possibly that digit being one and one being myself. Not sure. Not sure. Never get any uh, feedback. 
Not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying I don't. So, seeing as how it is a new day, uh, I am having some delicious Evan Williams, um, what is this, 1692? Or, you know what, we can, we're going to Google that right now. But it's a bourbon, a nice cheap ass bourbon, right? Let's see here. But uh, I'm having it on the rocks while I finish up this uh, podcast on a weekday. Don't judge me. But you know what? You need a little liquid lubrication. Evan Williams, whoo, 1793. Is that it? I get it confused. There's another bourbon that's just a year on the bottle. Uh, Evan Williams, 1783. Let me see. I'm waiting for the goddamn picture to load, right? Uh-huh. 17, Evan Williams, 1783. Listen, if you're looking for a bourbon that you can serve with ice, you can't beat Jim Beam, but Evan Williams, 1783, pretty top-notch. Anywho, um, let's move on to discussion questions. I actually really enjoyed that last chapter. I hope you guys did, too. There's an escape, some excitement as they run away, although... With Margot there, it kind of makes running away silly because she can just create illusions all the time, right? Although, I think it was pointed out that she made her illusion go away because they would have noticed it. So, that should be some foreshadowing, right? Yes, and I said we met a new main character, Steven. I actually kind of gave you a spoiler there because I don't think he has appeared in the book yet, and there's nothing to suggest that he'll continue to do so. But we'll talk about that, right, in our discussion questions. All right. So let's see. Question one. So Margot has a secret, like, uh, pan-dimensional sp- uh, storage space, I guess you'd call it, where she keeps all her shit, right? So Margot, it was pointed out, she calls it calls it hiding. That's her hiding or whatever. She hides things. I, I don't know. Probably won't get used in the book again because I probably forgot I said that she calls it hiding. But who knows? We'll see. But anyway, if you could hide stuff just in thin air and then grab it back out of there later, what would you call it? I think it's a good question. I like hiding, obviously. Magic storage was kind of a stupid... I guess you'd call it magic storage if you were like a Home Depot employee or something like that. Let's see here. Question two. All right. Henry noticed the magistrate's office when they arrived at the inn in this town, right? So they, let's see here. So Aaron and Margot went inside the inn and Henry lingered on the porch in front of the inn, right? Looking up and down the street. He noticed the magistrates and he frowned. That's all the book really says. Then he goes inside, three drinks already on the table, Margot and Aaron already sitting there sipping beer, I would assume, right? Going to do some more underage drinking for all you Americans out there. So, how, all right, he, they, were ordered, they were able to order three drinks in the meantime. How long was he just standing on the porch? I'll take any guesses, but it would have been an awkward amount of time. You know what? Maybe that's why the magistrates know that he's there, because he was literally just standing outside, and we've already confirmed that people recognize him. Not the best plan if you're trying to travel discreetly. You would think you'd hide, but apparently he does not. All right, question three. This is a good question, right? 
Are Steven and Aaron in love? Aww. I think maybe, right? They've been flirting a little bit. There's blushing going on. He's helping them for no particular reason to escape from the magistrates. Oh, they might be, right? Of course, I already said Steven's a main character, so that might give you some hint as to whether they're in love or not. We'll see. We'll see, right? We'll see. He Maybe he's, maybe there'll be a twist in the plot. Ooh, you know what? The only way you'll ever know is to continue listening to this terrible podcast, which apparently is going to be my longest episode ever. Uh, it looks like the uh, recorder is set at like 40 minutes now. Jesus Christ. But uh, yeah, the only way we're going to figure out if Aaron and Steven are in love is to keep listening. Or you can go to jeffreadshisbook.com and you can click the link and buy this piece of shit. And read it yourself at or follow along, right? There's also an ebook available with the chapter numbers marked wrong, so try to remember that. Um, and anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, want to answer some discussion questions, feel free to contact me. I'm on Twitter at Fortran Jeff. Uh, you can reach me in the Fediverse at JBA at mastodon.sdf.org. Or you can reach me by email at JBA at sdf.org. If you can't hear the letters that I'm saying, because they probably sound wrong, I think they sound fine, you can always go to my website, jeffreadshisbook.com, and you'll see some contact links somewhere on there. Go ahead and click them and let me know what you think of the podcast so far, or this book, right? Hey, and if you do go to Amazon, five-star review on this book, remember that, huh? Huh? One of the three people... Four... Four people who have read the book. Right. I think four and a half. I think the guy who lost it in the rainstorm, his uncle started reading it. I don't know. So there's like four and a half people who have read this book. Or four, five people have read it four and a half times. How about that? Oof. This will be my second time through the book now that I think about it. Well, yeah, because I only proofread once. Let's face it, right? <laughs> Oh, I'm having too much fun and probably too much bourbon for a Tuesday. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Feel free to contact me and keep on reading. Reading.